Sometimes he seems so distant, so different. Is he even real? What if that transcendent, holy, glorious creator of the universe wanted to meet us? What if we could know him, not just know about him, but actually know him? Encountering God. A new series at Stapleton Church. January 2019. All right, so good to see you guys. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor um, here, and you are here on a great Sunday. Uh, it, every Sunday is a great Sunday, but today especially, we have some baptisms today. We had um, one baptism. Kara Smith was baptized by her father, Jimmy. You know, Jimmy <laughs> baptized Kara in the first service. And we have four people signed up that we're going to get dunked here in just a little bit after our message. And maybe one of you, too, is feeling the call. We can get a fifth, sixth, seventh person up here, too. You can come over here after the message, and I'll, I'll get you dunked as well. Um, because baptism is faith going public. And what we're going to talk about today in our message, I was struggling with my intro this week, and then Patrick, who's going to get baptized here, you're going to get to meet him, sent me his testimony, and I got it this morning, and I was like, that's my intro right there. So we're going to see some of his testimony, and you're going to hear just a couple minutes of it right now. My name is Patrick Hubbard. Uh, I moved here about three years ago uh, from a small town called Claflin, uh, located in central Kansas. I'm young, I'm 24 years old. But that feels like a lifetime when you have a lot of things to be thankful for and you still feel like you're missing something. And I definitely was. It seemed like every time I met a goal or achieved some milestone that I'd been longing after for so long, I just still felt unsatisfied, still felt empty. There was always a hole. A lot of my attention was always turned towards faith. There was a phase where I didn't think I needed it, followed by a phase where I knew I wanted it, all the while knowing I didn't understand it. And so I studied and I studied and I attended church after church, shopped around, tried different faiths, uh, and the more I intellectualized it, the more difficult it seemed to become. Uh, almost like Every defense mechanism I had, every insecurity I had, was keeping me from stepping forward. It was a moment attending a church where they, they said such a simple thing, something I'd heard before, but I don't know if it was just I was in the right place in my life or what, but they had said that this isn't something you deserve. They said that this is a gift that you just have to accept. And it was in that moment where I looked back at my struggles. I looked through every single thing I was trying to do. And what I truly was trying to do was trying to figure out how to earn it. And in that moment, it just seemed to click. I wasn't going to be able to earn it. I wasn't going to deserve it. And it was this overwhelming sense of peace. This incredible sense of it's a gift it's something I'm given it's something I can just have if I just accept it and follow I love that it's such a simple message but it's so important because every religion in the entire world says you have to earn it 
That's what they do. They say you've got to reap what you sow, so you've got to do good things to have good things come back to you. Or if you do bad things, bad things are going to happen to you. But whatever religion it is, or even karma, there's these forces out there, and that's what it always seems. You've got to earn it. But Christianity is amazing because the, the message of Christianity, the message of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that you don't have to earn it. It's a gift. And that's what we're going to see today because God is a God of grace. And in this series, we're trying to encounter God. And today we're going to encounter a God of grace. And it's such an important message for us today. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 15. In this series, Encountering God, what we're doing is looking at some encounters that people had in Bible, in the Bible, in history, with God. And they're all strange, they're different, they're unique, sometimes even bizarre. But that's kind of how it is with God. It's like we're learning these different aspects of his personality, and they're so strange. And when we have those encounters, they're in different ways as well. Um, so what we're hoping is not only that we study these encounters, learn about God, learn what he has for us, but also that we would have a personal encounter. No more secondhand God is what we're declaring in this series because we want to know that God personally because he knows us and loves us. So last week we were introduced to Moses. We're going to be jumping around in the Old Testament, so I want you to see a timeline real quick so you know a little bit about where we are. So here's kind of a timeline of the Bible and the patriarchs, and, and you see Moses, he was at the very end of the time when God's people, the Israelites, were in Egypt in captivity and slavery, and Moses, of course, came at the end of that time and led them out of those 400 years of slavery. But today we're actually going to jump back in time um, to the time of the patriarchs, and we're going to look at the very first patriarch, the father of the faith, Abraham. Um, as God spoke to him. And through the rest of the month, we're actually going to be in this era of the patriarchs looking at a few of the different patriarchs as God spoke to them and they had an encounter with the true living God. So last week when we looked at Moses, I challenge you to know the God who knows you because God appeared to Moses on the mountain in this burning bush that wasn't really burning and he spoke to Moses and showed himself to Moses, and this is what we learn. Know the God who knows you. He knows everything about you, but he wants you to know him in a personal relationship. He's a real being who wants to be known. And that's what we learn first with God. So we're going to go back into Genesis 15. So let's start in verse 1 of this chapter. We're not going to read every word and every verse, so that's uh, what you're supposed to do on your own, in your personal study. But we are going to cover the entire chapter 15 of Genesis, and this has one of the most bizarre encounters. I think they all are pretty strange because God is, um, I mean, he's God. How could we even comprehend it, him at all? So we're going to see this encounter, and it's one that I, I don't know if I've ever had heard someone preach. It's kind of a weird ones people don't touch, but I think it teaches us such an important truth about the God of grace, about who he is. So we're going to start in verse 1 of this chapter. We read, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. So God is speaking to Abram. I thought he was Abraham. Yes. God changes his name later to Abraham. So I may go back and forth and call him different names. And it, this was his name of birth, Abram, but it became Abraham when God um, changed his name. So God is speaking to him. And this isn't the first time God had spoken to Abraham, but this is just a powerful encounter that he's going to have. And the first thing he says, this word is God speaks to him. He says, do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. God is saying, hey, I'm going to protect you. And I have a reward for you. See, when God spoke to Abram the first time was in Genesis chapter 12. And God spoke to him and said, Abram, I am sending you to a new land to leave your family, leave everything you know, to go to this new land, and I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless your descendants. And through your descendants, I'm going to bless the entire world. 
this amazing promise of a great future ahead, all these blessings and everything. And I'm sure that sounded awesome. Abram was like, awesome. And he did. He, he believed it. He's like, I'm going ahead with this. I'm going to follow where God is leading me. But now years have passed. We don't know for sure how long it was, but it was probably somewhere between five and ten years after that first encounter that Abram had with God. Here he has this second encounter, and God starts out by saying, do not be afraid. Do you know why? He was probably fearful, worried, doubting even. Do not be afraid, Abram. So, so God speaks to him, and I think that's so important. Yes, I mean, hearing the voice of God was probably powerful, but he'd already heard it before. But God starts out by saying, do not be afraid, because... Abram had some questions. God had promised that he would have descendants, that he would have many descendants and they would bless the whole world. But do you know how many descendants he had at this point? Big goose egg. Zero. He had no children. He and his wife were getting older, much older, and they had no children. No descendants. I'm sure he was wondering, as you and I would, how's this going to work, God? You keep giving me these grand, beautiful, amazing promises How's it going to work? When's it going to happen? Come on. And that's exactly what we see in verse 2. In verse 2, it says, But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. He's saying, I have no kids, so I guess one of my servants that work for me is going to inherit me. Is that what you meant, God? See, what Abram's doing here is questioning God. He has questions. How are your promises going to come true? How are you going to be true to your word, God? And you know what? We have some questions too, don't we? You ever had questions? Wondering, well, when God? How, God? I don't see any proof now. How's it going to happen? See, it's okay to have those questions. Even Abram, the father of our faith, had these questions. He's asking God, okay, how is it going to happen? How, God? But then in verse 4, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him another time. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And then he took him outside. And I can just imagine this. God putting his arm around his shoulder, pointing up the stars. Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. God reinforces this promise. God is not like, okay, I told you once. No, he says, no, no, no. This is a promise I have for you. Let, let me show you. See the stars? You can't even count them. Your descendants will be like that. That many of them. And he believed, yes, but he also had some questions. <laughs> when? How? I, I would say he probably was doubting a little bit, right? Let's be honest about this. In fact, in verse 7, God goes on to say, um, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Another promise, you're going to inherit all this land. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Once again, questioning God. I want some proof. I want to know that your word is good. And I want to say to you, some of you have questions. Some of you have big doubts. That's okay. You can have uncertainty. You can wonder. You can have questions. How is this going to happen? And that's all right. God still chose Abram. He's called a friend of God in the scriptures. He's blessed because of his faith. And he had these questions. 
And I think that's so important because we do have questions and we're like, God, how can I know that your word is true? How can I know that all these promises, eternal life, all this great stuff that you promised for my future, how can I know it's going to happen? Because right now I'm not seeing it. Right now it doesn't look that way. I don't know. In fact, sometimes it's the opposite. How how is it going to happen, God? We can have those questions. We can ask them. In fact, I think it's good and healthy to do that. So we'll talk about it in a little bit. But then God does something that is unique and bizarre, and it's the reason why I picked this passage. God does something strange next. He tells Abram, he says, okay, uh, what I want you to do is get some animals. I I want you to get some animals, and what I'm going to do is is send you out. You're going to get a cow, you're going to get a goat, and you're going to get a ram, and then you're going to get a couple birds. You know what to do. He doesn't say that last part, but he doesn't give any instructions of what to do with these five animals. But Abram knows exactly what to do. And I'll explain why he knew in just a little bit. What Abram does then, he goes and takes these animals. He gets the cow, and he cuts that cow in half. He cuts the cow in half. Did you hear me? He takes the goat, he cuts it in half. He takes the ram, he cuts it in half. He doesn't cut the birds in half because they were too small. Have you ever cut an animal like that in half, those of you who are hunters? When I was in Nebraska, there was a beef packing plant in town, so I went and visited. It was the biggest employer in town. And they would cut those cows straight down the middle. You seen that? You know what I'm talking about? It's gross. It's disgusting. There's blood. There's guts. There's sinews. There's bones. These animals are cut in half. Just imagine how much blood there would be. Think about it. And what Abram does is he takes those animals, he put one half of the cow on this side, one half on that side, one half of the goat on this side, one half on that side, one half of the ram on this side, one half on that side, and then the, the birds, he puts one on e- either side. Can you just picture this? It's almost like a hallway, like a gauntlet. He sets them out. And then he waits. And then the vultures come. The birds of prey come. They smell the blood too, or they see it. I don't even know how that works. They see it, and they're circling, and they come down, and they're starting to bite and peck at the flesh of these animals, tearing pieces of it to eat. Pretty gruesome, right? And Abram's shooing these birds away because he's like, okay, wait, God, where are you? What, what's going on? He's shooing these birds away to protect these animals as they're laying there, cut in half, laying out there, bloody on the ground. And then God shows up. See, it says that a darkness came over the day. Uh, like, like night, like the middle of the night, a darkness came. And it says it's like a dreadful gloom. This is a heavy darkness. And it says Abram is in a, a type of sleep here at this point. Before it was described as a vision. But here he's like put into this sleep. And, and what he sees is this darkness overwhelms him. Is a fire. It says in the NIV, a smoking fire pot and a torch. But it's a really tricky passage in Hebrew to translate. Basically what it's saying is that there's fire and there's smoke. And this fire and this smoke that shows up, because that's how God shows up. Last week we saw the burning bush that wasn't really burning. God shows up in this fire and this flame, the smoke, passes between the animals. Passes between the cows and the goat. Between the halves of the ram and the two birds passes through on the other end. And Abram knew exactly what that meant. And you guys are all scratching your heads. Right? Weird. Bizarre. What is going on here? I don't remember that in my Bible. Did I learn that in Sunday school? I don't remember that. 
See, God was doing something here. He was wanting to show to Abram that his word was true. His word was good. Take it to the bank, he's telling Abram. And he's doing something to get his attention. See, what God is doing here is making a covenant. That's what it says in verse 18 of our passage. That day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. See, Abram knew exactly what was going on because they were making this treaty, this covenant between God and Abram and his descendants. See, this is bizarre to us because we live in a written culture. If you want something done and you want to have a covenant with someone, you write up a contract and you sign on the dotted line, right? If you're remodeling your house and the contractor isn't showing up and you're freaking out and you complain to your friend, they say, well, did you get it in writing? And even if you did, did they sign it? That doesn't have a signature, it's worthless. That's what we do in our culture, right? You write up a contract and you sign it. It can even be on a a napkin, right? It can be on a napkin as long as it has a signature on there. It's good. It's written because we live in a written culture. But back in Abram's day in ancient Israel, they were not a written culture. They were an oral culture. So they didn't have paper, very little paper to write down these contracts. So what they did instead was they would do these rites. They would perform a ceremony as a way of signing on the bottom line. And what we're going to see today is our big idea that God's promises are signed in blood. God's promises are signed in blood. He's making this covenant and he's using these animals and this ritual that he's going through to say to Abram, you can take my word to the bank. You can count on it. My promises are good. My word is true. And I'm going to promise it and i'm going to sign it in blood you see now that we've studied uh, through archaeology we see that there's this covenant like this it's mentioned in another place in the bible in jeremiah that when these covenants were made they literally called it cutting a covenant this is what the term is in hebrew you see this in a different translation that day the lord cut a covenant with abram that's literally what the phrase make a covenant in hebrew is cut a covenant because what they would do in order to make this agreement between two parties was that they would cut the animal in half or the animals And then they would walk through it and they would basically be saying that if I don't live up to my side of the bargain, may I be like those dead animals. May I be cut off from my people. May I be like a rotting corpse on the ground and the birds come and peck at my flesh. It's almost a self-curse. If I don't do this, may I die. You know, we, some old school things, you know, you would sign in blood or whatever. Or, you know, basically you're saying, may I die if I don't fulfill my word. That's what God is saying here. We can see this. We, in archaeology, we see it in different ancient cultures that, that this is what they were doing. And this is what God is doing. He's saying, I have these promises. I'm going to do these things. I, I told you I was going to give you land. I was going to give you descendants. I was going to bless you. I'm going to be your shield and protect you. I'm going to give you reward. He's saying, in order to make my word true, I am doing this covenant and I'm going to sign in blood. And saying as almost a self-curse, if I don't do that, may all this bad stuff happen to me. Now, as I was studying this, a lot of ancient scholars or scholars of the ancient Near East are are puzzled by this. Because in all these different cultures, the Hittites, you know, the Phoenicians, the Mesopotamia, they, they have similar customs of cutting a covenant, right? They cut the animals. But there is nothing identical to this one. And they're all scratching their heads trying to figure out what's going on. And I had one of my Bible teachers tell me, and I'm going to pass this on to you, whenever you read something in Scripture that doesn't make sense, seems bizarre, weird, that's probably the key to the story. 
That's probably what it's all about. And I think the same thing is true here. Because in every other case in the Middle East that they can look through in ancient history, when they cut a covenant, one of two things happened. Either both parties would walk through that gauntlet of the animals, the cut animals. Either they would both walk through so that both people would say, if you don't live up to your end of the bargain, you're going to die like that. If you don't live up to your end of the bargain, you're going to die like that. So that would be one way that people would do these covenants. The second way that people would do these these covenants in the ancient Middle East was the powerful person, the king, the lord, would watch as the servant would go through. Because the the Lord had all the power, right? He was the king. He said, you need to work for me and give me the produce from your fields and I'm going to take it and yeah, I'll protect you, but since I have the power, you go through it and I don't have to. You take the curse on yourself. So that would happen sometimes. So either both parties would go through or just the powerful person would stay out and the poor servant would go through. But that's not what happens here, right? Only God goes through the animals in this story. Did you notice that? He didn't make Abram do anything. He didn't make him say, if you don't live up to your end of the bargain, you're going to die and be cut off and the birds are going to come peck at your corpse. God said, no, I'm taking that upon myself. This is unilateral. It's just me. I'm making the promise. I will fulfill it. And if I don't, all the bad stuff is going to happen to me. This is a one-way covenant that God is making. I'm giving you these good things. I promise you these good things and I'm going to come through with them. And you don't have to do anything. This is amazing. This is unheard of, and this is why this is unique in all of ancient literature and everything. They can't find this in archaeology because this is the first time ever that the Lord, the powerful person, would go through and take all the curse upon himself and promise all the good to the servant. It's amazing. See, God is giving a good promise, a unilateral promise of goodness and a good future, and he's signing his name in blood. Saying, you want proof? This is it. I will come through. May I be cursed if I don't. This is a powerful thing to realize. Because what God says is all that you have to do is accept it. I've already signed. You just accept the promises. I've signed in blood. Just believe it. And that's all we have to do. This passage contains one of the verses that's most quoted in the entire New Testament. Did you know that? I skipped over it. Such an important verse that we need to look at it in verse 6. It said that Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. That's all he had to do. He had to just accept it, to believe it, to say, your word is true, your word is good. And God says, that's all credit to you. You're righteous, you are holy, you are right before me and I will bless you as if you were perfect. You can stop striving and working at it. You don't have to earn it. You just have to believe it. And it's credited to you as righteousness. I have something here in my pocket. Walt, what is that? Can you see? Anybody in the front row? Can you tell me what this is? Steve? Kelly? It's a $100 bill, right? Raise your hand if you want this $100 bill. And the rest of you who didn't raise your hand, you know the truth. Because this is just a piece of paper. It's just a piece of paper. In fact, it only costs 14.2 cents to make. It's worthless. So I'm just going to burn that, right? Why, why not do it? It's worthless. It's just a piece of paper. 
throw that out, burn it, right? It's worthless. Why are you shaking your hands? Why are you telling me not to do it? Some of you are getting nervous, right? Oh, that's close. Why did you care if I burn this or not? It's worthless. It's 14.2 cents. Do you know why? Because you believe it's worth something. And you believe it's worth something because it's backed by the federal government. And the federal government has said this is worth $100. So you trust that it is. You know, you don't even need this piece of paper. I could take out my phone and through Apple Pay or Venmo, I could send you $100. And if you saw it in your account, just the digital thing on your screen for one second that says $100, you would think, oh, wow, I'm rich. Right? We don't even need the piece of paper. And we believe it's worth something, right? This thing is valuable because somebody says it's valuable. And we believe it. And what God is saying in Genesis 15, 6 is that I am the one who gives people value. I'm the one who determines what's worth something and what's not. And if I say that you are valuable and righteous and worth something, you are. You can take it to the bank. It is credited to your account. It's just as if you pulled up your bank account on on your phone. Oh my gosh, somebody transferred me one billion dollars. You couldn't spend a billion dollars in your life. You know, more than that, God is saying that you are completely worth everything you are valuable and if you believe me that's in your account right now that's pretty amazing it only takes accepting the truth believing the word of god and he says you are righteous you are righteous theologians call this principle justification because it's just as if i'd never sinned I've sinned, I've done wrong, I'm not perfect, I'm not righteous. But if God says I'm righteous and he credits it to my account, then I'm righteous. Just as if I'd never sinned, I'm forgiven, I'm holy, I am right with God, and I have these promises that he says to me. We just need to believe it's true. We need to accept that gift. That's all that God is saying here. This is amazing news, the good news. Christianity, if you're saying, well, I thought the promise was to Abraham and his descendants. And you're, most of us here were like, Matt, I'm not a Jew. I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile. I didn't get a bar mitzvah when I was 13, right? I'm not Jewish, so how does this apply to me? I'm glad you asked. In Romans, one of the places that Paul quotes this scripture, he goes on to say in Romans 4.16, so the promise is received by what? Faith. It is given as a free what? Gift. And we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses if we have what? Faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who what? Believe. Believing, faith, accepting this gift, that's all we need to do. And then we are made Abraham's children. We are his spiritual descendants. We are like the stars in the sky because we are one of those stars. That's what we're told. This is an amazing truth because God's promises are signed in blood. And what's amazing is that God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, who actually lived a righteous life. He alone was fully human and he alone actually did what he was supposed to do. He was righteous. He did no wrong. He earned righteousness with God, unlike the rest of us. And yet still, he suffered was punished and killed. 
That's amazing. Last week when we celebrated communion, we remembered some of the words that Jesus said. On the night that he was going to be betrayed and killed, as he held up the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my what? In my blood. I'm making a new covenant. It's in my blood. I'm signing it in blood. You can take my promises to the bank, he said. And then even though Jesus was righteous, he went and suffered on the cross. And the Gospel of Mark tells us that when Jesus was hanging there on the cross, a deep darkness covered the earth. Midday, there was darkness and gloom. And then Jesus on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Isaiah 53.8 tells us that he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people he was punished. He took that punishment, that curse, even though he had done nothing wrong. And we read in Galatians chapter 3, Christ took away the curse the law put on us. He changed places with us and put himself under that curse. Christ did this so that God's blessing promised to Abraham might come through, through Jesus Christ to those who are not Jews. Jesus died so that by our believing we could receive the spirit that God had promised. Jesus took the curse and the punishment upon himself as he died on the cross. That's an amazing truth because God is saying, I love you and I have forgiveness for you. I have a good hope and a future for you. I have a purpose. And even when things get hard, you can have peace in your life. And I will be with you and never forsake you. And you know how you can know my promises are true? I've signed in blood. The blood of my son, Jesus Christ. You can take that to the bank. You can believe that, and that's all it takes to accept that truth, that you are forgiven and you receive that gift of grace. If you're saying, well, Matt, I still have questions and doubts, that's okay. So did Abram. In fact, Genesis 15, 6 comes in the midst of his questioning. He has questions after it says he believes and it was credited to him as righteousness. Questioning does not cancel out faith. Doubts do not cancel out faith. Instead, questions know, when we doubt, we know as Christians where to take those questions. That's what um, Elizabeth Elliot once said. Elizabeth Elliot said that faith does not eliminate questions, but faith knows where to take them. That's what we do. We take our questions. When we have doubts, when we don't have it all figured out, we don't know why we aren't seeing the truth yet. We take it to God. And that's what faith is. That's believing, and that's part of what our faith is. And if you're wondering, well, which of these promises, how does it all work? What we're told in 2 Corinthians 1.20 is an amazing thing. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So in Christ, the promises given to Abraham are ours. We are those spiritual descendants. We will bless the world that we have eternal life and forgiveness, that we can have hope and a purpose. All of those promises are ours if we accept them. And we accept Jesus Christ's death on the cross. So do you believe it's worth something? Do you believe that you're worth something? Because God is saying that you are. That you are accepted. And that is grace. Let's watch a little bit more of Patrick's testimony. I struggled with depression. I struggled with a lot of difficulties that I'll admit I, I now tie to that, that hole that dissatisfaction with everything, that piece of spirit that I was just missing. And it was a moment actually sitting in my shower where I just 
tears streaming down my face, said out loud, I, I need you. I need help. I can't do this on my own. I can't figure it out. I know I can't deserve it. And so I finally just accepted the gift. And there was the peace again. <laughs> and it was like everything just clicked. Everything clicked after that. I found the Stapleton Church. I found this amazing community. I found amazing people willing to embrace and help walk alongside me in this newfound faith of mine. Um, it's incredible. Um, this strength that I feel and I, I want to bring it to other people. When I try to understand things, I usually understand them in metaphors, and the metaphor that comes to mind is actually a memory of the way I would play with my toys. I would get into my toy box, and I would immerse myself in my toys, and I would search for that special toy, and I would get distracted by all of these other ones, and, and so distracted, trying to seek the purpose of these different toys, have a dinosaur, a race car, or an action figure, looking for maybe a specific Lego or anything like that, and would get so distracted and never be able to find the thing I was looking for, and then I would realize that my mom would be standing there, or my dad. My parents might walk in just to check on me. I wouldn't know they were standing there until uh, until they spoke up, or I would look up and there you go. Hi. <laughs> um, in that time, I was cared for. I was provided for. I was safe. Had everything I would ever need. But I was so frustrated that I couldn't find that specific toy and so distracted. And that's what I feel now. I feel like this entire time, I hadn't only been searching for the wrong thing. It was that I was fighting this search to begin with. All I needed was to just stop, sit, and look up. And that I've been provided for and cared for all along. And the immense love and peace that I feel there, knowing that he was waiting for me to just do that all along. It's incredible. So I don't know how many of you need to look up right now. Um, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've already accepted that gift, I want you to know that it's true. To believe it, it's signed in blood. And you can live as you're someone who's forgiven and chosen and loved by God. You need to stop trying so hard to earn it with God. But for some of you, you've never accepted that gift. And today is the day. And I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to do that. I'd be more than willing to talk with you afterwards. We have our staff here. If, if you have some questions, that's totally cool. You don't have to have it all figured out right now to accept that gift. And maybe we'll dunk you too. <laughs> we got four people that are going to come up um, in just a second and get baptized. But I do want to just offer you a chance to do that. So would you guys just bow your head and, and pray with me right now? Lord God, we love you. We love you that you cared about us so much that you were saying, I will make a one-sided covenant. I will do everything to save you and give you a bright future, to give you hope. All these promises are yours, even at my own cost. May I be cursed. And Lord God, you sent your son Jesus to take that curse for us, to accept that punishment on our behalf so that we could accept that gift of forgiveness. Lord God, let us be able to walk in that and live in that every day of our life.
And for those who are in here, um, with everybody's eyes closed, heads bowed, if you want to accept Jesus Christ, you want to accept that gift today for the first time, would you please just raise your hand? If you're here, awesome. Praise God. Anybody else want to raise your hand? I'm going to pray for you right now. Lord God, I pray for these, these people here who, who made this, that they raised up their hand, Lord God. Would you hear their cry of their heart right now? Lord God, we, we just pray that they might feel the joy of your salvation, that they would know that you have come to give them that gift of eternal life today. Lord God, just bless them and keep them in your power. And let them know your promises are good. You can take it to the bank. They have eternal life, forgiveness. They are your child and loved and accepted right now. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.